This was our first worship gathering at our new place, Sunset Tower. Enjoy my dad's message, The God of Planned Surprises. The God of Planned Surprises, Hope's Highway, Book of Matthew, Part 1. So, uh, when I say the words, fulfilled prophecy, uh, what do you think I'm talking about? What does that mean? When fulfilled prophecy. What is a prophecy, a fulfilled prophecy? What does that even mean? What are we talking about, Sierra? It's a Okay, a foretelling of things to come, and if those things to come are fulfilled, they happen. So there's something in the past that's predicted that will happen in the future, and then when it actually happens, then you have fulfilled prophecy, right? That's what's happening. Okay, so Matthew, in the book of Matthew, Matthew reaches back into the Old Testament of scriptures, which happened hundreds of years ago before Matthew was alive, and 68 times Matthew says, this happened long, long time ago, and now it's fulfilled in Jesus. This happened, and now it's fulfilled in Jesus. 68 times he makes references to the Old Testament where there's some sort of fulfillment going on. So if, however, you actually go back to those Old Testament passages and read them, like open up the book of Isaiah or open up the book of Hosea, and you actually read those verses in context, something happens. You start to go, what? Wait, what? what? It, what's going on here? This isn't, this isn't. And you start to scratch your head a little bit because you'll discover that in a lot of those cases, what Isaiah is talking about, or Hosea, or any of those Old Testament prophets are talking about, has nothing at all to do with what Matthew says is being fulfilled in Jesus. And so if you actually read them, then you have a bit of a problem. Because you're like, what is Matthew talking about? These aren't fulfilled prophecies. Matthew must be smoking his socks. This is sort of the idea that you come up to. And so, what we're going to do today, this is the game plan for today's talk. I'm going to give you three examples of this bizarre type of prophecy in the book of Matthew. Two warnings for traps not to fall into. Because when we read these things, we can, we can fall into some, some traps that I don't think are good for us at all. And then, one main point to love. Matthew is quoting all these Old Testament scriptures as fulfillments. Uh, to the Jesus story for a very good reason that I'm hoping will capture your heart today. So that's the plan. Let's get right into it and see what we can learn. Here's the first example. Uh, is, is coming in Matthew chapter 1. Now, Matthew's Christmas story narrative is very brief, okay? Matthew basically says um, there's this engagement and then there's this unplanned pregnancy and then Joseph doesn't want to be married to this pregnant woman so he's going to divorce her and so then an angel inter intervenes and says to Joseph, look, you got to marry Mary because Mary's pregnant with the, with the, from, as a result of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the context. And then we have this verse that shows up here in Matthew. 1 and verse 22 and 23. Can somebody read this nice and loudly for us? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall 
conceived and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, so here it is. All this, this whole big thing, the birth of Jesus, all took place of what the Lord had spoken of by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. This takes place in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, 600 years before the time of Jesus, roughly. Now, what is the context of Isaiah chapter 7? There's this king. His name is Ahaz. And he's really worried. He's the king of Judah. And he's worried. Why is he worried? He's worried because this little country called Syria and this little nation called the northern tribes of Israel, their two kings are really angry at Ahaz. And they're like, we're going to kill you. And so this is the context of Isaiah chapter 7. And so Ahaz is freaking out. Isaiah comes to Ahaz and God speaks through Isaiah. And God uh, says to Ahaz, ask for a sign. And I will give you a sign to help you know what's going to happen in your situation. And, this, and, and Ahaz says, I would never, I would never ask God for a sign. And so God gets a little bit upset with him and says, fine, here's your sign anyway, even though you're too much of a coward to ask for it. That's the context. And here's the sign. Behold the virgin. In, in Hebrew, that word is Alma, which means young woman. It doesn't even necessarily mean virgin. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so in the context, we have this, this, uh, this, this, this promise that this kid is going to be born. And by the time the kid is figuring out what is right or what is wrong, these two lame old kings are going to be dead. That's the, that's the promise. So basically, God is speaking through Isaiah and telling Ahaz, the two guys that are trying to kill you, they're, they're going to be dead by the time this kid, whose name is Emmanuel, is three or four years old, by the time he figures out what's right or wrong. And that's what's going to happen. And that's the prophecy. That's, that's what that prophecy is about. And then, interestingly, in Isaiah chapter 7, he says, you know, these two kings are going to be dead, but don't worry, things are going to get really bad for you because there's this country called Assyria, which is like ten times bigger and meaner and nastier than Syria and the northern tribes of Israel, and they're going to destroy you. So that's how Isaiah 7 plays out. So... Um, this verse isn't technically about a virgin. Isaiah isn't thinking that this passage is in some way about a future Messiah. In fact, it's not. In the context, it's not. It's a time frame reminder for Ahaz, so he knows when the kings of Syria and Israel are going to get whacked. That's Isaiah 7. So why does Matthew reach back, rip this verse out of its original context, and say that this ancient virgin Emmanuel story from back in Isaiah's day somehow applies to Jesus? It's a good question. Next one. Um, here we have, in, in this is in, in uh, Mac. Um, oh, yeah, that's Isaiah. There you go. Um, the next one is this passage do you know what this picture is in reference to? Anybody want to take a guess? Yes, so King Herod sends 
he hears that this Jesus fellow has been born in Bethlehem, and there is a prophecy from Micah, which seems to, to really reflect Jesus. We're not going to take the time to look at that one today, but they, they had a clue that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and Herod, the king, felt like Jesus would be a threat to his rule, and so he went in and killed all the, the children of Bethlehem. It's a terrible, terrible story. But in this, um, you know, we have, we have a, 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 a dream, a message, an angel speaks to Joseph. And Joseph gets a tip, and him and Mary and Jesus make a beeline to get to Egypt to escape the persecution, and that's what they do. And here's the passage uh, that we have. Somebody read this one nice and loudly. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So here's the fulfillment. Out of Egypt I called my son. Where's that verse taking place? That verse is from the book of Hosea. Hosea 11.1 1 starts off with this phrase. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. What is this passage talking about? This passage is a poem, and it's talking about the children of Israel. And it's a historical reflection on the children of Israel. The prophet Hosea is looking back over 1,200 years, not in the future, he's looking in, into the past. He's looking backwards to when the children of Israel exited the country of Egypt. And he says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I have called my son. And son here is clearly a reference to the tribe, the people of Israel. Not a single son, but a whole tribe of Israel. And as the story goes in Hosea chapter 11, God loved his son, but his son was rebellious. And so God had to punish the son, and the rebel rebellious son was punished by the invasion of the Assyrians and the Syrians and the Babylonians, and the whole sordid history of Israel uh, gets reflected in chapter 11 and verse 1. And so what is going on here? This is a poetic history lesson, not a prophecy. No matter, says Matthew, I'll make good use of it. And now for the most bizarre one of all. Example number three. Somebody read this verse nice and loudly. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Yeah. So they leave Egypt when Herod dies, and they settle in this town called Nazareth. Um, so what was spoken of by who? The prophets, plural, might be fulfilled. So where is this passage in the Old Testament? Any ideas? Anybody? You know what the answer is? Huh? It's not there. There's nowhere in the Old Testament where a, a Messiah is prophesied as being uh, as promised to being a Nazarene. So is Matthew just like making stuff up now? Like what's going on? This is not in the Old Testament. So just hang on, just hang on just a second. So what's happening? What's going on here? Um, so our first example, here we go. Uh, for Ahaz, it's not about Jesus. It's about, uh, it's fulfilled 600 years before Jesus uh, arrived. 
The second example is a historical poem talking about the people of Israel, not Jesus. And the third is a complete mystery. We have no idea what Matthew is talking about. So, um, so at this point, and this is uh, something I think this is important for us to do. At this point, I want to give a warning, okay? Because uh, there's two things that usually happen. People get turned off at this point, and they're like, you know what? This whole Bible thing is a joke. People are just making stuff up. Matthew, he was just, you know... I don't know what Matthew was just trying to do. You know, it feels like bad journalism in our modern eyes, doesn't it? Like, it feels like fake news. Um, Matthew's just making stuff up to, to prop up his story and to give it some street cred. And the truth is he's playing silly word placement games and this is garbage. A lot of people draw that conclusion. I'm not one of those people. So I would say, first of all, don't get turned off when we look at this kind of stuff. Don't get turned off. Um, I, I think there's one big and helpful thing to know. Um, and that is this, that this kind of word connection that Matthew is doing, clearly Matthew is looking for specific words in Old Testament passages and connecting them to the Jesus story. And this was a normal and accepted way of learning in the first century. Scholars and historians from the first century in every, in every case did this kind of thing. It was a way of learning word correlations and connections and patterns and similarities that linked separate stories was a powerful and inspiring way of learning. That's how it, that's what it was like in the first century. And our modern show me the facts kind of world doesn't make use of this kind of association learning any longer. And so that's really important to realize. Matthew was playing by the rules of his game, okay? The rules of the day of, uh, of the first century. Uh, and that, that's important to realize. So don't get, like, just relax. Just don't, get, don't get turned off because maybe these, these passages are not fulfilled prophecy in the sense that we think of fulfilled prophecy. Okay? Don't get turned off. The second thing is don't get lost in the discussion. Don't get lost in the discussion. There's been massive debates and discussions over the years about all this stuff. And people get lost. They, they, they gravitate to a position on a particular verse and then they argue for it. And then like the whole point is missed because then you have this big argument that's going on. This happened a few years ago with um, the Revised Standard Version came out, I think about 50 years ago. And they decided to translate Elma in the, in the Isaiah 7.14 passage as, as young woman instead of virgin. And how do you think that went over? To, to like, like uh, fundamentalist evangelicals, like, don't mess with the virgin birth kind of people. How do you think that went over? It didn't go over very well. Like, the RSV was boycotted. There was, like, uh, picketing, and, 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 and um, you know, you could get kicked out of the church if you had an RSV. And, like, it was, like, a, a disaster. And, 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 and when Matthew pulled Isaiah 7.14... To, to put it into the Jesus story, he, didn't, he wasn't thinking that there would be fights over the Hebrew word, right? That wasn't part of his game plan. And, and this kind of stuff has happened. I mean, and there's good explanations. There's some explanations like, like you know, in the, in the passage where Jesus is fulfilled to be a Nazarene and then there's no actual Bible reference about the Messiah being a Nazarene. You know, some people have said, well, Samson was a Nazarene. 
And so maybe there's a connection between Samson and Jesus. I think it's a bit of a reach, but it's a possible explanation. Other people said, well, the, the word Nazarene in Hebrew is really, really close to the Hebrew word for branch. And the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, talk about a branch of, 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 of springing out of the, the stump of Jesse. And, and that is a messianic branch and so Nazarene branch close maybe it's like a wordplay you know there's all these explanations and I'm not against those explanations I think they're fine I think they're good um, I think they're helpful it's not wrong to know them but I think it can be easy to miss the point when we're busy trying to explain everything so I want to finish today's talk by just talking about the point of what, why Matthew is doing what he's doing here. And this is the main point. Um, so here we are in the final, final stretch of this talk. Any ideas, by the way, on what you think Matthew's point might be for reaching back 68 times into the Old Testament and saying, here's a word that's fulfilled in Jesus. Here's a word that's fulfilled in Jesus. Any idea? What do you think? So upside down is what people were expecting, and really make sure that there was a point that Jesus who they've been waiting for. Okay, so there's a surprise going on. Okay. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector, and he would have been very much unloved. Okay. By his people. Okay. But he shows such great love to his people. Mm. Wants them to understand Jesus is the Messiah. Right, so, okay, that's a very interesting observation. What's your name again? I forgot. Paul. Uh, that's a very interesting observation, Paul. Like, so, so Matthew is a Jewish tax collector. He was hated, but he, he kept his Jewishness. He kept his, and, and this was a loving way to try to, to woo Jewish potential converts. I'd never thought of that before, but I think, I think that's valid for sure. So tell me. Okay, yeah, so, so, there, so it's, it's, it's helpful in seeing that, you know, we're not talking about two separate religions here. The old religion, which is dead, and the new religion, which is not dead. There's a continuity here. Matthew is, okay? Go ahead. How important is this for me to know? Well, we're at the final point. And this is, this, is the, this is the good question. I'm hoping all of you are asking that question. Why are we talking about this? Here's the point. And I'll use that as the segue into the final point. And it, oh, I, I feel like when we understand the reason why Matthew is doing what he's doing, it could change your life. That's how I feel. Yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like this is a big point here. So let's go ahead and segue into that, into this final idea. So what is the point? It's, 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 it's summarized in two ways, I feel. And um, it's like this. Um, God is with us. That's the earth-shattering message. Matthew is trying to help us see that God was with Ahaz, but now in an even better way, God is with us. God led the people of Israel out of Egypt, but now in even a greater way, God leads us out of our own places of slavery. But not only is it just God with us, it's also this. 
God at work through us in surprising and unexpected ways. This is what Matthew illustrates over and over again. Virgin birth, a surprise, yes, but part of the plan. Wise men, a surprise, yes, but part of the plan. Sojourn in Egypt, surprise, yes, but part of the plan. And so now here's where we get really practical. What about you? What about you? Do you believe that God is with you and that God is working through you in surprising and unexpected ways? Is that what you believe? If that is something that you believe in, that is an incredible way to approach life and a liberating one. And we get it from the book of Matthew. And we talked in our, in our prayer time about Sandra's testimony from last week. And I think this is an example of what we're talking about, right? Sandra testified last week that she's been praying here at Sunset Towers for 16 years that a church could be birthed here in this space. Meanwhile, Meta Communities is bouncing around like crazy over the last eight or nine years. We first, we, we met for worship at the community center there for a while and then got kicked out because there's no Christians allowed at the community center. And that's what they told me. You can Buddhist meditate, but you cannot be a Christian right there. And uh, that was a hard conversation that I had with those people. Um, and so then we bounced around. We ended up at Gordon Neighborhood House, which was great. But then we're, we've had financial problems. So we, 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 go, we go broke, right? And so um, what are we going to do? What's happening? And, and here we land here. And, and is this, was this our first choice to be here? What do you think? No, it's not. It's, it wasn't even a thought for years. Go ahead, Teek. Um, we forgot that we went to other churches. Yes, we went to St. Paul's for the basement for a while, and that, that worked out for us, but there was some, some challenges, some logistical challenges there, but it worked. We were, we were thankful. But, but why am I bringing all this up? Men has gone through all sorts of bumps to get to this point. And even though we maybe didn't anticipate being at this point, but yet here we are, maybe right on time, you know? You look at our situation, um, our, our funding stops February 1st, and so I've got to get a, a, a job and become, bivocation, become a bivocational pastor, which is fine, but we couldn't do that if we were still renting anywhere else. But we're here because residents of Sunset Towers have wanted this and have in fact been praying for this for 16 years. And so I see all of these things and I'm thinking to myself, God is at work through us in surprising and unexpected ways. That's a great perspective to view life. And that's the point of Matthew. Matthew is telling us 68 times, don't you see that God is working in surprising and unexpected ways. Can you imagine Embracing this perspective with your life, a growing confidence that God is with you and he's orchestrating good work through you in surprising and unexpected ways. Paul already mentioned just a few minutes ago that uh, um, Matthew's vocation, did you hear what he said? What was Matthew's vocation? He was a tax collector. Was that a popular job in first century Judaism, why was it unpopular? Is it popular today? 
<laughs> fair, fair question. It's probably not popular today. It was super not popular. Do you know why it was not popular? Wait, what did you say? He collected money for the Caesar. Was Caesar Jewish? No, Caesar was Roman. <laughs> he was from Italy. Ah. Um, so, uh, but here's how, this is what made it especially bad. I don't know if you knew this, but these guys here, did Caesar pay them? No. So how'd they make their money? What? Well, so let's just say, let's just say this guy has to pay 10% tax, or in the case of first century, more like 80% tax. Uh, the, in, or, in order for him to get paid, he has to take a cut off the top of that. And Caesar said, I don't really care how much you take. It's not my concern. And so these guys were extortion specialists. And so they were hated to the point of, I'm going to kill you, hatred. And so, yeah, it was a problem. But look at what this, and, and Matthew tells his own story in chapter 9. Um, whoops, whoops, right here. And Jesus passed on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he says to him, follow me. You know what normally you would say to a tax collector when you pass? Go to H-E double H-E double. You wouldn't say follow me. But Jesus reaches out to Matthew and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house of Matthew, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And so all of these sinners, tax collectors, got a chance to hang out with Jesus. And if it wasn't for the situation of Matthew being a tax collector and all of that scandal, that never would have happened. And so we see here, again, surprising and unexpected ways. And in fact, this, this little exchange caused the, the, the religious leaders to freak out. And they were like, what is Jesus doing hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And do you know what Jesus said? In this historic moment that's been recorded to us and reverberates down through time. Do you know? Yeah, it's the, the, Jesus has come not to reach out to those who think they are righteous, but to reach those who know they are sinners. And all through now time since this event happened, we have this message of Jesus reaching out to those who are in need and those who, who, who need help. And that is our example for us. And, and all, none of this is happening if Jesus doesn't bump into this grimy tax collector and reach out to him. And so you can see how God is working in surprising and unexpected ways. The religious leaders could not have predicted this. Go ahead. It's pretty nuts for a tax collector to write a book about Jesus. Right? Like you're trying yeah. to prove the case yeah. that Jesus is God. Yeah, that's unexpected in itself. The very fact that Matthew is the author of this. It's a good point, Chris. And so what I want us to be captured with is not the debate over possible explanations for how and in what way fulfillment actually happens in Jesus. I, I, I want us to be captured with the vision that God is at work 
in surprising and unexpected ways. God has come to be with us in the person of Jesus and he fills us with his spirit and he is doing work in you in surprising and unexpected ways. And you can in faith grab hold of that idea and then sit back and say, okay, what is it? What is the surprising and unexpected way? And I'll return it back as praise to you. And that's the difference maker in your life. That will be the difference maker in your life. And so I want us to finish by just saying a prayer together. God, thank you that you are with us. I confess my unbelief about your presence in my life. Help me to see as Matthew saw that you are here and you are working through me in surprising and unexpected ways. Amen.